This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again. Everyone knew that this week was going to be tough for Kevin McCarthy, but not even Democrats could have hoped for such a humiliating few days for the Republican nominee to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. There are already hearing from GOP donors and from constituents back home that the party looks, quote, stupid. I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. It started on Tuesday. It is my high honor to present our conference's nominee for election to the office of Speaker of the People's House, the Honorable Kevin McCarthy from the state of California. A speaker has not been elected. I rise to nominate Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. A speaker has not been elected. Madam Clerk, I rise to nominate Kevin McCarthy for the position of Speaker of the House. A speaker has not been elected. Several members of his own party turned against McCarthy, refusing to vote for him, instead using their votes as excruciating reminders of just how unpopular the congressman from California really is. Move to adjourn until noon tomorrow. Eventually, they put him out of his misery, at least for the day, and the House then returned on Wednesday, hoping someone would back down. But instead... Right now, though we remain divided, a majority an actual majority of the House Freedom Caucus, members do support Kevin McCarthy. A speaker has not been elected. So it was back to the drawing board again on Thursday. Surely it would be a done deal by then, right? I rise to nominate Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House. A speaker has not been elected. Despite making several concessions he said he would never make, Kevin McCarthy failed to win over those sceptics, failing to get elected, even after the number of attempts had gone into double figures, something that hasn't happened in nearly 170 years. The last time it took 10 rounds of voting or more, Charles Darwin had just published his findings on the theory of evolution. So as we head into the weekend, we still don't know who will be the new Speaker of the House. What does McCarthy have to do short of dropping out and taking himself out of contention as the new speaker? As the bizarre rigmarole continues to play out on Capitol Hill, I wanted to catch up with my colleague, senior political correspondent Lauren Gambino, who is in Washington, D.C., covering the chaos 
as it unfolds. I spoke to Lauren just before those last few rounds of voting on Thursday night. This year has been a little different. Um, It has been absolute chaos and disorder and drama and turmoil and any word you want to use, absolute disarray in the House uh, as the chamber fails to elect a new speaker. And we, I suppose, it's at least chaos, but of the non-violent kind, given what happened two years ago. Yes. Uh, Compared to what happened two years ago, it's, you know, almost laughable. And there have been some funny and comical scenes um, as as Republicans struggle to elect a new speaker. But, you know, it does raise concerns. There isn't a speaker. And what if something like that were to happen in this, you know, very uncertain period where Congress actually can't do anything until a speaker is elected? So there are real, real concerns, um, not just the political drama. And the numbers that the Republicans have, the narrowness of their win in last November's midterm elections, all of that was known already. We've known that for several long weeks. Uh, to what extent was this scene a surprise to you? I mean, we, you know, it could have been foreseen. To what extent do people like you who cover what goes on in Washington and Capitol Hill feel surprised by what you're seeing? It's one of those things that you knew was going to happen. He didn't have the votes heading into Tuesday. But at the same time, to actually see it happen is incredible. It hasn't happened in a century. Um, And so you kind of feel like you're actually front row seat to history. To actually live through it is is something totally different. Yeah. I mean, people are invoking history now. And I think it is exactly 100 years. I think it was 1923, the last time, when it went nine rounds. I mean, you know, as we speak, Kevin McCarthy is sort of closing in on that record. And yet, at the start of the week, even though look, the, everyone knew how narrow it was for him and how narrowly the Republicans had taken control of the House, where really just four or five votes were you know, in it for this slim, slim majority, uh, he himself, Kevin McCarthy, did seem oddly, even kind of weirdly confident. That's not about America. And I will always fight to put the American people first, not a few individuals that want something for themselves. So we may have a battle on the floor, but the battle is for the conference and the country. And that's fine with me. And made this move, some people would call it presumptuous. Some people would say, you know, in a way it signaled confidence, which was to move in to the offices of the Speaker, previously occupied by Nancy Pelosi, as if this was a done deal. I mean, it's always a criticism of politicians that, you know, they're measuring the drapes in, (laughs) insert relevant office here. You know, what did that say about Kevin McCarthy? Was it genuine confidence or was it an attempt in a way to play mind games so that it would create, you know, facts on the ground that his opponents would have to deal with? What, What was that about? I think in a way it was a bit of both. Um, McCarthy, just just for a little bit of context, McCarthy wanted to be speaker back in 2015. And it was actually a conservative block of lawmakers who stopped him. And he eventually withdrew from the race. And that's how you got Speaker Paul Ryan at the time. And after that experience, he really worked to build relationships with the, the hard right in his party. He embraced Donald Trump, hugged him very close. Like even after January sixth, he you know groveled at the foot of Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. So he has done everything he can to really appeal to this far right faction. So I think he thought that some of those relationships would eventually bear fruit and give him the votes. 
similarly, I think he also wanted to project this confidence that he was the only option. He didn't want to start to give this faction of, you know, rebels who who do oppose him. He didn't want to give them the idea that there was someone else. He's in it for the long haul. So if if they're going to put up this fight, they better be willing to fight, uh, you know, round after round after round. So you've mentioned the far right, the so-called Freedom Caucus, this group of you know, hard right uh, members of the Republican Party, very often loyal to Donald Trump. Uh, and yet it is them who have given him this problem. Just to talk us through how this has happened, you know, what their objection is. You know, we've we heard at the top of the show these votes after votes and, and, and him not getting the numbers he needs. What's their problem? What's their objection? And what do they want? That's one of the key questions that's frustrated a lot of uh, the Republicans supporting McCarthy is that it's not totally clear to everyone exactly what they want. This is a group who doesn't like the establishment. I think it's fair to say they have shown very little interest in governing. Many of them you know, deny the results of the 2020 election. They are really not bound by the rules of uh, democratic governance. Um, they want to take power from the speaker and give it to the rank and file members effectively so that they can cause (laughs) more chaos. I mean, you know, the charge against them is that they want to literally burn the house down, uh, pun intended, obviously. And they have issued some demands. Interestingly, McCarthy's met a lot of them, but some of the things they want, uh, I assume British listeners will be more familiar with this than Americans, but they effectively want the ability to call a vote of no confidence in the speaker at any time. McCarthy had agreed or suggested he would be willing to let them do it if they could get five members from the party, but they want just one single member to be able to call a vote of no confidence. They want other things. They want plum assignments on certain committees, but these are kind of specifics that they're hoping to get. But I think deeper is that they just don't like McCarthy. They see him as a member of the establishment. There's a sense that that they might not ever be satisfied, that they just want chaos more than change. And as we record, in fact, Lauren, I'm seeing word emerging from those talks on Capitol Hill that uh, Kevin McCarthy has indeed given way and will give way on this demand that it only require a single vote. One Congress man or woman will be enough to trigger a vote of no confidence in the Speaker, whether it's him or not. So a big, big concession. And these are happening in real time as we speak. Um it's striking that these demands are not substantive or policy demands. It's not like they're asking for a specific policy on abortion rights or guns or uh, the economy. Instead, they are procedural things they want, which would essentially strengthen their own hand. I suppose the result of that is that if he gets this job, he is going to be incredibly weak at the end of it, even if he actually staggers across the finishing line and is declared the winner. I think that's exactly right. It's the question is how badly does he want this job? You know, does he want the job just for the the title, which is what he might end up with, um, if he gives away so much power that you know every week could bring a new attempt uh, to to oust him, or anytime they're dissatisfied. I, I mean, there are some big legislative hurdles that Congress has to contend with. It's their job to you know pass budgets, and we have this federal uh, debt limit that they're going to have to deal with. And, you know, these are things that could push the U.S. economy to the brink. And so uh, if McCarthy has no hold 
over his conference now, I mean, there's very little faith that he's going to be able to push through. This isn't like legislation that they want to pass. This is legislation that you know, has to be passed or, or, or we risk, <laughs> uh, you know, defaulting on our, our national debt. So it's going to be a, just a very difficult road ahead for him. <laughs> Very much indeed. And I suppose when you hear all that and you hear how there are these people who don't really have very clear demands beyond the fact they just don't really like Kevin McCarthy for the reasons you say they don't trust him. They think he is a creature of the swamp rather than someone who could drain the swamp. This country needs leadership that does not reflect this city, this town that is badly broken. You would, listening to this, you'd think, okay, well, then why haven't they just replaced him with someone else they do like? And this is a second part of the problem, isn't it? That they, there isn't a clear candidate, a sort of standard bearer for that faction or, or, or one that could unite the Republicans in Congress in a way that Kevin McCarthy has failed to do. Exactly. We've seen them put forward a few alternative candidates and they've changed throughout the days. I mean, interestingly, on the first day, someone nominated Jim Jordan, who then himself nominated Kevin McCarthy, which was <laughs> obviously okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not the solution. On Wednesday, we saw them nominate Byron Donalds, a congressman from Florida. Uh, who had voted for McCarthy during one round of the voting and then switched because he said clearly McCarthy didn't have a path. But, you know, none of these are really viable alternatives. And it's not clear that I think the most prominent name that suggested is the number two House Republican. His name is Steve Scalise. And as the majority leader, I really look forward to bringing those bills to the floor through a committee process that's open again. We're going to make Congress work again. Not only He's seen as very, very conservative. He's well-liked across the caucus. But so far, he's remained pretty loyal to McCarthy and has stood beside McCarthy and backed him. You know, he's kind of seen as if McCarthy agrees that there's no path forward, uh, maybe he would be put forward as this consensus candidate. But there's no guarantee that this fight wouldn't continue under Scalise. Yes. I mean, you mentioned Byron Donalds before we should... Note this, it's only really going to be a historical footnote, but at that moment, the person who stood up to nominate Byron Donald, at that point, you had two uh, African-American men competing for the speakership because the Democrats united behind their leader, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, you know, man of colour, up against Byron Donald, uh, as you mentioned, a congressman of uh, Florida, but a, a, an African-American man. So you that was a little bit of history made in that moment. Not that anybody thought he really had a chance to come through. Steve Scalise, by contrast, once boasted that he is David Duke without the baggage. Uh, David Duke being a notorious member and leader of the Ku Klux Klan. So you can see the Republicans really casting around here. And this is revealing a kind of divide, one is tempted to say almost civil war, on the right, where the Republicans are at each other's throats and can't agree. And there was, I'm just going to play this, because this really illustrates the division in, even the within the right of the Republican Party. A moment where Sean Hannity, Fox News host, very close, famously to Donald Trump, Question Lauren Bobert, one of the hardcore members who only very narrowly managed to keep her seat in November, pressing her on this question of what is this really about? What is it you really want? Let's just hear that. So my question is this. Nancy Pelosi's You haven't answered my question. So if you have, 
You cannot yesterday demand you supported, more responsibility. Yesterday you supported Jordan. Want less Today you're supporting Sean. Donald. That's not the way this Donald's. works. We need a check and a balance on the third in line. Who to is the your fight? Let's Look, have Sean, a final answer. I want Who unity. do you want to well, be you know, Speaker of the House? Maybe that's for the conference to decide. We need to come together. Who do you want? To, I'm asking is, who you want. What does it look like? Life after Kevin. I mean, Lauren Boba is so you know interesting as well, just because a it shows those divisions on even the kind of hard right, but also because she is somebody who made a name as yet another you know mini Trump as we've called them on this podcast, and yet when she rose to speak, she had a go at Donald Trump, you know, suggesting that he hadn't done enough. We can hear that too. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. And with that, I yield. Thank you. You listen to that, Lauren, and you just think these are people, this is rats in a sack stuff. This is a Republican Party that cannot agree with each other. And it's been like this for a long time. Interestingly, Donald Trump papered over some of these divisions because he really took control of the party for that period that he was president. He really proved that he had the grassroots conservatives behind him and, and the establishment wasn't able to really put up a fight. And now I think within Sideline, you're starting to see these old, old divisions bubble up. And these are the same conservative fights that chased out how, uh, Republican Speaker John Boehner, Republican Speaker Paul Ryan. You know, it's that the remnants of the Tea Party and it's now playing out and just you know, full technicolor for all of us to watch wide-eyed. Yeah, I mean, NBC ran a headline saying Speaker Standoff is a culmination of a decade-long GOP family feud, Republican Party family feud. Just on the point of Trump, because this will obviously be of interest around the world where he remains such a sort of dominant figure, there, it will surprise people that he had thrown his weight behind Kevin McCarthy, said he wanted his followers to trust Kevin McCarthy, whether, you know, swamp creature of the swamp or not. Uh, and yet Trump's backing was not enough. And you and I had this conversation on the morning after, in the small hours after the November midterm elections. But this is yet another sign, isn't it, of Trump's waning power. You know, he backed all those candidates who lost in November. Here he is giving his instructions, his his um, endorsement, and it's not enough, uh, even with the, you know, the Trumpite right of the party. Is what we're seeing another installment of this unfolding, ongoing saga of the decline and fall of Donald Trump? I think to a degree you could, yeah, infer that because you're not seeing him play a major role in this fight. This is a fight that's really taking place among members, among sort of you know, the the outside groups that we see. But Trump is not really a central player. Trump's loyalists are really good at reading Trump. And so initially, he kind of gave a tepid backing of McCarthy that really alarmed a lot of McCarthy allies. And so then he came out with a much more forceful statement that I think McCarthy and allies thought would move a few votes, you know, work to change some minds. But it actually didn't. We saw the same number of defectors, um, you know, after several rounds of voting. And so the fact that he is unable to persuade people, influence them in the way he once was, I think is a sign of of him kind of being sidelined in this moment. And what you can see right now, I think, is, is a Republican Party without a clear leader, with no speaker, no clear path forward. It's It's unclear who's leading the Republican Party. 
totally fascinating. And in that void, all kinds of weird alliances are <laughs> being thrown up because we heard Lauren Boebert before they're hostile to McCarthy. I think long-time listeners of this podcast and just followers of American politics would have assumed that, you know, her fellow wingnut Marjorie Taylor Greene, Congresswoman of Georgia, she of the wildfires are caused by Jewish space lasers. Mm. We'll remember that one. Um, You'd have thought she would be against the, as it were, establishment candidate. But no, she is um, also on Team McCarthy, which is really surprising. We can hear a little bit of her expressing her support for him. This is not about prom king. This is not about a pastor. This is about electing a person to sit in the speaker chair so that we can all get to work. So what about that, Lauren? I mean, why why did MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene, split from the rest of her camp on this issue? One of the strange effects of this fight is that it has sort of cut down the middle some of these what we thought were hard and fast alliances on the right. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, she was stripped of all her committee assignments when Democrats held the House for the comments, like you said, for making these sort of violent comments against Democrats and completely asinine um, insane conspiracy theories. And she had this line where she, you know, she said, oh, all of my fellow colleagues in the Freedom Caucus, they're demanding these seats on committees. I don't even have a committee and I'm not making any demands. I'm just backing, you know, a good hmm. candidate. And so uh, I think she's probably hoping that, you know, with McCarthy, she will be rewarded for her support, uh, for her loyalty. She will get her committee assignments back. I think she is kind of making a bet that he will ultimately pull this off and she will be rewarded for it. Yeah. And there may be some panic among all on both sides that, you know, the bet they've placed may not pay off either one way or the other. I asked you before about where this would leave Kevin McCarthy you know, even if he succeeds, I mean, we don't know the outcome as we speak now, but, you know, whichever way it falls for that group, that dissenting 20 who have held this all up and made the Republican Party and in some ways Congress itself a laughing stock in the United States and to some extent around the world. What 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 happens after that? I mean, are they going to be are they going to be very strained relations in that Republican conference? Because the rest of the Republicans in the House will blame them, resent them. I mean, I'm just wondering if this is one of those ruptures that it becomes impossible to heal afterwards. Yes, I think absolutely this is going to be a long-lasting rupture. I mean, already you're seeing moderate, though I use that word in quotes, uh, members of the Republican Party just turning on these Freedom Caucus members. You know, Representative Crenshaw of Texas called them clowns, uh, used more colorful language than that. But, you know, they're getting really frustrated just saying, what do you want? What can we give you? What, you know, what is it that you are actually trying to do here? Um, and so I think you get a McCarthy who is severely weakened, doesn't have the confidence of his party and not just this far right faction but you know other members who think you know you're going to see members who think he just gave away the house to secure this job and now uh you're going to have moderate members who are going to be in really tough elections in 2024 who won't have a lot to show for it legislatively and i think you know something to watch a theme to always watch is how this all plays out for trump does he take sides does he try to act as a peace <laughs> a bridge between these these factions um you know is he weakened if the right is weakened because that was his uh, that was his base so i think this is a preview of what's to come rather than you know the great big war that's going to settle this 
Yeah. I mean, I think um, whatever way it falls, it can't be good for the Republicans' image to begin their big, much ballyhooed takeover of the House or recapture of the House in chaos. I mean, it just goes to this question of how competent and capable they are and in a way speaks to the Democrats' messaging during the November election campaign. And you feel this is almost the first line of the Democratic message in 2024. Meanwhile, so that leads me to ask you, what are Democrats doing? I mean, besides get breaking out the popcorn and just enjoying this, there was this wonderful photograph captured of Nancy Pelosi, who's still obviously a member of the House, even though no longer leading the Democrats there, um, reading uh, the New Yorker magazine, open to a feature called What Kevin McCarthy Will Do to Gain Power. I mean, this is just pleasure, isn't it? It's all upside for the Democrats to sit and watch this unfold. To say they are enjoying this is an understatement. Madam Clerk, I rise to nominate Hakeem Jeffries as Speaker of the House, the lead vote-getter in the final, in the last five rounds. The gentleman is recognized. They've had such a good time with it. One member, you know, brought his four-month-old baby for the swearing-in ceremony, and he's been posting daily photos of him having to change the baby's diapers on the cloakroom floor because this is taking so long. We should note Hakeem Jeffries, the historic new leader of the Democratic Party who took over for, uh, sorry, of House Democrats who took over for Nancy Pelosi. He has been the top vote-getter uh, each round because of the Republican defections against McCarthy. So he's you know, sort of the leader. He hasn't gotten enough, of course, to become speaker and he won't. But nevertheless, you know, that is, you know, an extra twist of the knife uh, for Republicans. Really, I, you know, I've, I, I love just glancing over at the Democratic side of the chamber and just seeing them effectively, they're giddy. They're just happy. This is going as, as good as they could have hoped. They've just come off of a pretty significant legislative cycle. They spent the last two years passing a lot of legislation, big bills that will all start to take effect in the next few months and years. So they feel like they're going to have a good case going into 2024 to say, look what we did when we were in power and look what they did. They could barely elect a speaker, ground the entire Congress to a standstill for days um, while they tried to figure this out. So because, as you and I speak now, we don't know exactly what, whether or how or when this deadlock gets broken. So two wild scenarios. Let me just, you know, shoot them both down if you if you want. But, you know, defections from either side. Could a handful of liberal Republicans, if they still exist, you know, that was once a, a real species, now very much an endangered, if not extinct one, could some of them just in, throw their hands up in despair and cross, effectively cross the floor, as we would say in sort of Westminster terms, and vote with the Democrats to make Hakeem Jeffries speaker? Or, other scenario, do uh, two or three handful of Democrats break ranks and vote to make Kevin McCarthy speaker. And I noticed the veteran congresswoman from Ohio, Marcy Kaptur, did sort of hint that she might be thinking of that, saying, you know, look, we have to accept that Republicans did win a majority in the House and therefore do have the right to have the speakership and we've got to end this deadlock. So do you see defections from either side or, do you know, much as they may hate each other, they hate the other side more and therefore will still stay on party lines ensuring this deadlock goes on a little bit longer. It sounds like what you're suggesting is something very foreign to us, a coalition government, <laughs> which we Americans yeah. do not uh, do. I I really don't see that happening. Uh, there's been a few Democrats who've said, 
yeah, sure, we'll talk about giving you the votes if you do this, this, and this. And that would be, you know, more parity on committees, um, things that Republicans would never agree to. And so uh, I think, you know, those comments of, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll give you the votes if you do this and this are sort of pie in the sky and not serious. On the Republican side, it's really hard to see who would defect, uh, especially in the House. You know, in the Senate, you could you could possibly come up with a few names, but in the House, it's just so driven by the sort of political fires of the moment. I just don't see anyone being willing to sort of take on that risk. It's high risk. High risk. No, I mean, although Congress, part of the joy of it has, and the weirdness of it is it does throw up all kinds of strange alliances over the years. And you do see these figures from the sort of left of one side, right of the other, who weirdly strike up these personal friendships. So it does happen. Lauren, as you know, as a veteran of our pod, uh, that we always like to ask, I guess, a what else question. So something else going on. One figure sat strangely alone. And I speak, of course, of George Santos, newly elected Republican congressman from Long Island, New York. We're not going to get into the detail of this because it's, for one thing, it is a joy that deserves um, to be (laughs) savoured. It's such an amazing story. We're going to be talking about that, uh, we hope, next week. But, you know, let's just say he has been found to have been uh, beyond economic with the actuality and economic with the truth when it comes to his own life story. And all of that has come out and unraveled. Democrats have called for him to be kicked out of Congress for essentially misrepresenting himself to the electors of his district. What, what do you think was going through his mind? You were there in the gallery watching. When, you, when your eye fell on the sight of George Santos, what did you imagine was going through his head? I mean, he's a serial fabulous, so who knows what he's made up to explain his circumstance. But he was, you know, at least on the first day sitting in this little island by himself, which, you know, for a packed house is kind of surprising in and of itself because there aren't that many free seats. Uh, It just seemed like nobody wanted to go near him except for when he was off the floor. Reporters who constantly, you know, followed him through the halls, asked him you know, what he would say to his constituents, trying to get answers out of him. He conveniently was always on the phone and always headed in the opposite direction of reporters. Within Congress, he's referred refused to step down. He's refused to resign. He, you know, hopes eventually when the speakership race is settled that he will take the oath of office and and become a member of Congress. My guess is he serves uh, during that time. And, you know, who knows what else he'll say or do uh, as an official member of Congress, at least for the next several months and possibly for his entire term. Lauren Gambino, Senior Political Correspondent for Guardian US, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this week. And thanks for having me. And that is all from me for this week. The producer was Danielle Stevens. The executive producer was Maz Ebtahaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.